Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, on this Taste and See Tuesday, I have a full hour with this friar, this friar bakes, Brother Andrew Corriente. Um, so before we get to our conversation about Christmas cookies and pies and hmm, giving ourselves away at Christmas in the spirit of the season, uh, let us open to today's lesson. We have been reading in the month of December through the Gospel of Luke. And so on this December the 22nd, we arrive at Luke chapter 22, which on Taste and See Tuesday, we arrive at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests were seeking how to put him to death. The hymn there is Jesus, for they feared the people. And so in this chapter, we have um, these troubling and very relevant verses. Verse 3, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was among the number of the twelve. And he went and he conferred with the chief priests and the officers uh, on how they might betray Jesus. And they gave him money, and he consented, and he sought an opportunity to betray him to them. Um, We then get the celebration of the Passover. We get the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, You have heard me often say, you know, how is it that we can make Christ known in the breaking of the bread? The walk to Emmaus, um, in which Christ identifies himself after his resurrection, uh, he, he becomes known to those men in the breaking of the bread. Well, he makes himself known in the breaking of this bread as well. The Passover meal is what we look back to on this occasion um, of the Last Supper. Jesus's um, complete transformation of the Passover meal, understanding himself to be the lamb who would be offered in sacrifice. Um, Jesus goes on in this chapter again in the 22nd chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. um, He goes on to foretell Peter's denial and that Scripture must be fulfilled in these ways. Um, he prays on the Mount of Olives. If you uh, if you were to have the um, extraordinary privilege of visiting the Mount of Olives, you'd actually get to see these ancient trees. They are still there. God has preserved them literally over millennia. Um, and then we get the betrayal and the rest, the arrest, and we get Peter's denials of Jesus, the mocking of the one who comes. So as we bow the knee at the manger cradle, remember these verses from the very end of the 22nd chapter of the gospel according to Luke. I'm going to start at verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They blindfolded him and they kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? They said many other things against him, blaspheming him. 
When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. They led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Christmas is coming. The Christ Mass is coming. Christ is coming. Indeed, he is here. This is the one whom we celebrate when we bow the knee at the manger throne. Next up, Brother Andrew Corrienti. We're going to talk about Christmas and Christmas cookies, Christmas baking on this Taste and See Tuesday. We'll be right back. Instagram, you should be following this Friar Bakes. You'll get to see Christmas ornament cookies, among other things. Welcoming back Brother Andrew Corriente. Brother Andrew, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Great to be what back. What a joy. What a joy. What a total joy. I see some macaroons on your um, Instagram page. I see some blue and white Christmas ornament cookies, maybe uh, those would also be appropriate for my Hanukkah friends. I don't know. Can I do that? Can I do like <laughs> snowflake-themed blue cookies? And then some more ornament cookies further down. All kinds of great stuff. Let's um, let's get into Christmas cookies. Christmas cookie baking is probably, um, I mean, that's probably something more people listening have done than virtually any other kind of baking. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about Christmas cookies. Um, you know, give us give us some passion points here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a few things that people complain about when they're doing Christmas cookies, right? Um, one would be that the cookies, um, they spread out too much. Um, and that depends on the person's dough uh, and the recipe. Sometimes if your dough has too much liquid, too much fat, or you cream it too long, or if it's too hot in your house, um, that will cause your dough to spread in the oven. So to combat that, I usually put my dough in the refrigerator for, you know, at least an hour just to be extra, extra safe. Um, another problem that people get is that their cookies burn. So when I tell people about... Have you... Now, wait a second. Baking, have, you, yeah? have you been, like, zooming into my kitchen? Because both of these <laughs> issues... I made a whole pan of cookies that turned out to be, like, a pan cookie because they completely all spread out into each other. And, and... I constantly have the problem that the bottom of the cookie burns. So I'm so yeah. glad you're going to fix that now. Yeah, Carmen, like literally these are the problems. I, <laughs> these are the, <laughs> the problems that my friends text me constantly. And I do. I did a few Zoom baking classes, and these are the problems. Interventions. Interventions, you- amen. Um, so the, the other thing is um, everyone's oven is different. Um, and some run hotter than others, right? So – a good way of combating a, a burnt bottom cookie is 
Um, a few things. One is your your pan is probably too is conducting too much heat, um, and you can fix that by dropping your temperature maybe twenty five degrees less. Sometimes um, the cooking time will obviously take a little bit longer, but your pan your your oven's probably running hot. To check if it is, like invest in an oven thermometer because um, like life, ovens are fickle. So <laughs> make sure that like your ovens are calibrated properly. Um, and so I always use an oven thermometer if I'm using like an older oven. Um, the other thing is to prevent it from burning is to watch it carefully. So at the halfway mark, say it's a 15 minute um, bake time at seven minutes, check your cookies, see if like it's browning too much. See if it's, um, if you're smelling smoke. <laughs> um, and what I do usually is I, I rotate the pans or I move them from the bottom to the top rack or the top to the bottom. It depends on where the heat source is coming from. Every oven is different. And sometimes the heat comes from the bottom of the oven and other times it's from the top. Other times it's from both. So um, you just have to play around with it. A good way of figuring out how to work with your oven is do not bake your entire batch of cookies first. I tell people to take one or two um, balls of cookie dough and just check how like how long it should take and how and where the hot spots are in your oven. That way you burn one or two cookies as opposed to burning like a dozen cookies. Yeah. So that yeah, yeah no, so I totally feel I totally feel like you've been in my kitchen. Um Okay, so I'm going to definitely put my dough in the fridge for at least an hour. Um, I'm definitely going to check what kind of pan I'm using and whether or not my oven, well, I know it has hot spots, right? Like I know that it's hotter in one section than another. So rotating the pans top to bottom and front to back, and that that's a great idea. Doing a test batch of just a couple of cookies, that's a great idea. How do you feel about parchment paper? I feel like they don't I burn as often if I put a piece of parchment paper and then I also don't have to clean the pan. Correct. Yes. <laughs> um, definitely use parchment paper so you don't have to clean the pan also. The other thing is, if your tray is running too hot, um, you can invest in what's called Silpat, S-I-L-P-A-T. And it's basically a reusable parchment paper. So you don't have to keep buying parchment paper and you can just use that. Silpat also helps moderate the heat on your baking tray so that you get a more um, even cookie bake. And also a gentler cooking cooking going on in there. So I when that. I use, yeah, um, it, it's great because when I travel to different fryeries um, and I bake <laughs> at different fryeries, I just bring my snow pat with me because it's a it's a reusable parchment paper. I don't have to look for parchment paper at the other fryery. And also, I never know if their ovens are running too hot, so I always use the snow pat first. Um, and that's you know, people nice listening. So people listening right now are thinking to themselves, I feel like the parchment paper at a friary is potentially not the kind you should put in the oven. <laughs> They're thinking like old parchment paper, like paper, like, right? Just like, you know, sacred scrolls. Don't be using that. That's no. not what we're talking about. Okay. Andrew, I'm making a joke. You and I have to take a very brief break. I have the pleasure this morning of an entire hour with this Friar Bakes, Brother Andrew Corriente. You should follow him on Instagram, this Friar Bakes. We'll be right back. Oh, Santa. I can't wait for you to come. I just can't wait for you to come. And I've got cookies to 
very yummy cookies. Continue my conversation with Brother Andrew Corriente. You can follow him on Instagram, This Friar Bakes. All right, uh, you guys, I'm opening up the text line. You should text in your questions at 877-933-2484. Again, we're taking your questions right now on the text line, 877-933-2484. Caroline um, drops this into the text line already. Hey, even with cheap pans, I find that doubling them up really makes a difference. There you go. There's a little idea for you. Keep things from burning. Does that work? Yes, that absolutely works. Actually, I just told my sister to do that recently. Um, the other way of doing that, too, is just putting um, an extra pan um, at the very bottom of your oven. That way, that pan will absorb or buffer the heat um, that comes from the bottom of your oven. Mm-hmm. See, I'm learning things. I'm learning things. I'm taking there notes. There you go. <laughs> um, let's talk about Christmas, um, and we'll get back to what we're baking for Christmas here in just a minute. Um, this is a really special time of year for those of us who are Christians, and yet the world has really, in many, many ways, co-opted the holiday. I'm wondering, um, Andrew, if you'll just reflect for a moment on the true meaning of Christmas. Amen. Yeah, so my conversion was very much a, a journey of the heart. Um, I felt this immense peace, this immense love uh, when I was in college, and for me, that's always been the center of my conversion, of my faith, of my vocation as a friar. And so that's what impels me to action. So when I look at Christmas, um, I don't think of Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, though those are, those are cute little things, too. Um, no, hate against Frosty. Um, but for me, as a Christian and as a Catholic friar, I think about Jesus. I think about Jesus who helped a woman when everyone else hated her, of Jesus who was with a man who was deemed unclean, um, who showed that injustice does not win, and who is our creator that came down and walked with us. And so for myself, that is to be celebrated, the beginning of a complete transformation of what it means to be a human, of working towards love, working towards justice, working towards peace, like that is something momentous and transformative, and that should be celebrated. I mean, God walked among us. So whenever I approach the holidays, I think my joy doesn't come from Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or like, you know, getting gifts by the Christmas tree. It's about this moment where we are taught how to live in a more fulfilling, a more loving, a more beautiful way. So that, for me, is what Christmas is. Amen. So um, I'm interested to know what happens in a friary this time of year. (laughs) Um, Around this time of year, we are just um, head to toe with, like, lots of donations. I actually have um, a huge donation sitting in my in our walk-in freezer and refrigerator that as soon as I'm done talking with you, Carmen, where a bunch of us are going to pack up 300 bags of desserts um, to hand out to the poor today. We have a big distribution where we're feeding about 300 um, uh, families that have been affected by the pandemic. 
And so they come to one of our parishes and wait in line um, for donations of food. So we're working on that right now. So right now we're seeing little else. Yeah, I love that. No, I love that. I think that um, the spirit of giving, like that is the spirit of Christmas, right? God gives himself to us in a way that we could have never imagined. Angels didn't even imagine God could give himself or would give himself in such a way. And so coming up with ways to give at this time of year that genuinely meet the needs of others, things that they cannot satisfy for themselves. I mean, that is that is in, that is making the gospel incarnate again. That is putting flesh and feet on the gospel all over again. And I hope opening doorways of opportunity, you know, for people to recognize that God does genuinely love them. Amen. And that is also how we show it through um, our different talents. Obviously, mine is baking, but we have brothers who are also craftsmen uh, who who do a lot of woodworking. Uh, We have brothers who are very gifted in um, homilies or very gifted in spiritual direction. So we use or even just like a brother who could give a poor person a ride in their in a car to drive them over to the food bank or to the bus station. You know, it's it's all these little ways of giving back so that so that we can show that God loves them through us. Yeah. All right, we've got some listeners who've texted in. Um, I can answer the first one. This listener wants to know how do you spell Silpat? S I L P A T. It's also not hard to find, um, and it's not actually paper. So you're not looking—parchment paper is the unfancy version. Silpat is the fancy, reusable version. Um, You can't reuse parchment paper. Ingrid wants to know this. Do you have tips for baking with gluten-free flour and sugar substitutes? Oh, yes, I do. Gluten-free flour, um, don't— interchange every recipe that has all-purpose flour for gluten-free flour. It will not work. Um, it will come out in a way a sandy, gritty texture. I mean, which is fine if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're into texture like that in your cupcakes. But um, uh, there are plenty of recipes, uh, for instance, on King Arthur flour. Um, there are a lot of gluten-free blogs that specialize in gluten-free. Um, they would have the right ratio of gluten-free flour for your baked goods. And so I would suggest you follow those. Don't just find a recipe online and just substitute gluten-free flour. It, it usually does not work. For sugar substitutes, um, yeah, my mother um, has used stevia. Um, that's a great sugar substitute that, that works wonderfully well um, in a lot of baked goods. Coconut sugar also is a great one, too. Um, actually, it may be sugar, sugar, but stevia, um, honey, um, those are all fantastic. And when it comes to like watching your sugar intake, um, I usually tell people to um, go for like the what's the word like a brownie or or a brownie uh, for a sugar substitute because with cookies I don't know how it's going to react to the sugar substitute, but with brownies it's not going to spread more or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It'll still have that sweetness but it won't be the same. So brownie or blondie, but substitute it with like stevia or something like that. Okay, and then now we have a question that I'm simply going to read because trying to interpret it would reveal my ignorance because I don't even know what the question is about. (laughs) Okay. Good morning, Carmen. All right, so good morning, Michelle. Uh, I got a question about spritz. Always have trouble getting them out of the spritz gun. 
I don't know what a spritz gun is, and sticking onto the pan. So what is the trick to keep them from breaking up in the process of getting them to stick to the pan? You clearly know what this person is asking, and I do not. I am is that the little the person is that the little cookie that you like? Are you like, yeah, yeah? What did you call it? Yeah, it's a, it's a cookie, right? It's like a spritz cookie. Yeah, is that I think correct? So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right, I hope. Yeah. So, um, and the person's having a problem. It, it's, it's a classic butter. What? It's apparently a classic butter yeah. cookie. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They're very cute. Yeah, they look adorable. Um, <laughs> um, just sticking to the, it's not sticking to the pan or it is sticking. I think the, the issue pan. is that it's not coming out of the gun and dropping onto the pan. Like, like it's like she's oh, probably it's, then. It's her. It's the batter then. Um, uh, whatever okay. recipe they may be using, it's not. It's not the right ratio of liquids. So if it's if it's too hard to come out of the out of the um out of the gun, then what happens is it's just there's too much flour. There's too much dry components in your recipe. So that's the problem with that. The other thing is too is maybe the person refrigerated or the the of uh, the kitchen is colder, so it would have a harder time coming out of the gun. I'm looking at this gun right now. It's so interesting. Um, <laughs> I've never seen something like that before. Um, it looks awesome. There's some beautiful cookies. Um, wow. But yeah. So um, recipe that is a little bit more fluid and will be easier for you to pipe. Um, I'm assuming it's a I'm going to get fancy with you. It's a, like a sable or a base. Um, typically, they're supposed to be with um, an egg white or an egg yolk. Um, and this one looks like an egg white thing. So maybe uh, the person is not using enough egg whites um, or they're not using just or they have too much flour. So my suggestion would be to find another recipe and try it out again. Love it. All right. We have um, we have more time left with uh, Brother Andrew Corrienti. I know that normally we would be saying adieu to our guest, but he's going to hang around because we're going to talk about pie. Why? Because I forgot to talk about pie prior to Thanksgiving. And so we're going to have the pie conversation prior to Christmas because why? It's always good time for pie. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, if you were going to bake Jesus a birthday cake at Christmas, what kind of birthday cake would you make him? I'm asking that next it's a surprise question to Brother Andrew Corrienti. This fryer bakes. We'll be right back. The Christmas tree hunt is on. The preferences are different, but the desire is the same. We want the perfect Christmas tree. This is Max Locato. You search for the right one. You walk the rows. You examine them from all angles. This one is perfect. God does the same. He has picked you. He knows the place where you'll be placed. He has a barren living room in desperate need of warmth and joy. A corner of the world needs some color. He selected you with that place in mind. God made you on purpose with a purpose. He interwove calendar and character, circumstance and personality to create the right person for the right corner of the world. And then he paid the price to take you home. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, God bought you with a high price. The Christmas promise is this. We have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. This is Max Lucado. There's a happy feeling nothing in this world can buy When they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie 
Continuing my conversation with Brother Andrew Corriente, you should follow him on Instagram, This Friar Bakes. All right, Andrew, uh, Christmas is Jesus's birthday. If you were baking him a birthday cake, what kind of cake would you make him? We have votes so far for angel food and devil's food because that's oh, the way no. people think. <laughs> I would, if I had to choose between those two, it would definitely err on the side of angel food, even though it's harder to make. Um, um, I, I, my initial, my initial reaction would be, you know, I'm an American, so chocolate and vanilla cake actually, because mm-hmm. I also um, but the thing with chocolate and vanilla cake is that for me it's a, it could be a celebration of chocolate and vanilla. Um, so for us Franciscans, we love creation, obviously, and a good chocolate is transcendent. Um, mm-hmm. For me, whenever I have a good piece of chocolate, it just it just you know, I, I lift up to the heavens. So to make a constructed cake out of that would be fantastic, as well as um, using real vanilla bean or using vanilla bean paste is like um, what, I, what I would love to do every day. But <laughs> obviously, that's way too expensive. So, so um, am I going to take I my love... hold on? I'm going to take my real vanilla bean and I'm going to slice it open. And then I'm how am I getting that vanilla flavor? How, what am I putting that in to get it to come out? Oh, okay. So to to get that vanilla flavor in, um, usually you add it into your dairy product, which would either be oh. butter, cream, or milk sort of thing too. So um, say you're making a whipped cream, Carmen, you mm-hmm. would uh, slice the vanilla bean lengthwise, flip your knife over so that the back edge, the, the less sharp than the dull side is facing it, and you scrape the vanilla bean out. And then you drop mm-hmm. it into your whipping cream, and then you whip that up. Add in some sugar, um, a touch of salt or something like that, and it should amplify. I tell people whenever they have access to a vanilla bean or vanilla bean paste, celebrate it. Um, one, because the vanilla bean is not doing so well right now, um, unfortunately, so it, it's becoming more expensive. But it's such a beautiful, like, like floral product. Like, celebrate it. Make sure, like, pair it with cream, uh, pair it with um, strawberries, pair it with like fruit or something like that. And for me, like the classic American combination of a, a beautiful vanilla with a, a, a beautiful chocolate, um, it just sings for me. So um, mm. I, I think it's, it sings for any okay, palate. So, yeah. Too, so, so I would. So you can make me a flourless chocolate <laughs> cake because I like that one. It's like almost fun. I mm-hmm. will send you a, my flourless chocolate <gasps> cake recipe, Carmen. <gasps> it is okay. So, so make sure, but you always, if you're doing flourless chocolate cake, invest in a really good chocolate um, because that is where you allow the chocolate to sing again and it's heavily relying on the nice chocolate. So um, it, if you have access to like a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, make an investment, mm-hmm. um, buy something like Goutard, Valrona, uh, Kayabao. Um, those are premier chocolatiers and they have these beautiful, um, beautiful chocolates there. Oh, I love that. Okay, fantastic. All yeah. right, now we have to talk about pies because I failed to ask about yeah. pie at Thanksgiving, which was really pie time. Although I'll tell you at my house, it's pie time all the time um, yeah. because it's pie is definitely my husband's favorite dessert. So oh, yeah. I know. So give us some pie instructions because I think for a lot of people, pie crust is really intimidating. And then um, I suspect we're not putting enough fruit in our in our fruit pies. Oh, I love fruit pies. Um, yeah, so it's wintertime. So this is a perfect time to work with pie because 
especially like here in DC, it gets humid in the summer. And so it's a pain to do pie making in the summer when it's humid and my butter's melting everywhere on my counter space. Hmm. So I, I, I could talk about pie all the time in winter <laughs> because it's so much easier for me to work with pie dough then. So in terms of pie dough, <clears throat> find yourself a good recipe for pie dough that um, is highly rated. Um, and if you can, um, invest in a scale. So um, what happens is sometimes like some recipes have the, the weight measurements. And whenever I do weight measurements for my pie crust, they always come out fine. And so um, I've just been doing it ever since then. But the other thing is only add enough water until your dough comes together. And sometimes you're going to think it's not enough, but sometimes it is. It's, that is a harder way of doing it because you have to build up the instincts. That's why I tell beginners, just invest in the scale and see what the pie dough is supposed to look like and feel like. And that way you're able to um, have a more consistent pie dough because sometimes we're working blind and we don't know what it's supposed to look like or feel like. The other thing is keep your ingredients very, very cold. Um, freeze your butter, refrigerate your flour, make sure it's iced water because um, as soon as your hands get into that pie dough, depending on how hot your hands are or how sweaty your hands are, it's going to start melting all that butter and or shortening that's in your dough. And before you know it, you're not going to have a flaky crust. You're going to have a crumbly one. I mean, it'll probably be delicious, but um, you're going to have a crumbly one. Um, and so when you're working with pie dough, making it, always keep everything very, very, very cold. Um, this feels like yeah. this is a little bit, this feels like a little bit like chemistry to me. This is, so this is the it's difference between baking and cooking. I am definitely a cook. <laughs> Because this mm. whole measuring stuff and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I am definitely an open the cupboard and be like, oh, let's put that, 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 and that together. That sounds good. Um, so talk about the, because you really yeah. are highlighting the importance here, especially when you talk about getting a kitchen scale and weighing things. Um, you are really talking here about something that is cultivated over time um, through practice. And there's some discipleship in that. Like, right, there's those of us that just like to throw stuff together and make it work. I mean, I call my cookies sneakers for a reason because I'm just sneaking all kinds of stuff in there. It's no, there's anybody's guess what kind of cookie they're going to get at my house. That's not how a real baker bakes. And there's a lot more chemistry and discipline in what you're doing um, than in what most of us are doing. So, so talk about that. Talk about the discipline of baking. Yeah. You and my mother would get along <laughs> she just opens up the cupboard. I have like, no oh, doubt no. that I would get along with your mother. I just know. Hey, Andrew, I um, I set you up to answer that question, and then I'm reminded, Paul, do I have to take a – is it time I'm supposed to take a break? Oh, yeah. Andrew, we got to take a very, very brief break. I've just run over okay. myself. So we'll, we'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Brother Andrew Corriente. You can follow him on Instagram at this friar bakes. Um, okay, so let's go. Let's uh, pop back to that question about disciple the discipleship, uh, the discipline of of baking. Amen. Yeah. So when I first started baking, I just was like, 
year. I'm like, I'm just going to throw it together. You know, um, hopefully it works out. Hopefully it does it. Um, and over the, over the years, I realized that, you know, sometimes it would be amazing and sometimes it wouldn't. And so when I started investigating more, I realized that if I was more disciplined in terms of following the directions and really trusting reliable sources, then my products come out more consistent. I learned about technique. I learned about the tradition, the heritage of baking. And for me, it's just, I, I fall deeper in love with it. And to be adamant about following the precise measurements and to follow the instructions precisely, it's sort of like my spiritual life at the same time too, because uh, when I first was converted in college, it was sort of like, I'll just do whatever, you know, like I'll, I'll pick and choose like which spiritual books to read or like wh what to listen to and stuff like that too. And then when I became a friar, I realized the spiritual journey can be more disciplined. Um, the first Christians were um, called the Desert Fathers. And um, what they did was senior monks would train the younger monks of how to live the spiritual life. They would give them lessons about virtues, about living community, about um, living the gospel, obviously. And so for myself, in terms of my spiritual life, I always like look to someone I admire, another friar, another priest, a, a sister. Um, and I look to them for guidance in terms of like how to discipline my spiritual life, what kind of thoughts I should be um, nourishing, what kind of actions I should be implementing, um, how I should pray, how I should go about my day. And so for myself, is this, this aspect of discipleship is not just like with baking, but it's also in the sense with my spiritual life as well. Absolutely. And I, um, yeah, I'm just, I think we're so blessed to get to, to talk with one another. Um, you know, you and I are a generation apart. Um, your mom and I would have a lot in common, not just the way we cook. Um, <laughs> And it brings me, and it's bringing my listeners, I mean, people are texting in, like, this guy is a blast. Thank you for having him on. I mean, on and on and on, the affirmation um, and the joy that that you are able to, um, well, that flows through you. And so I want to I wanna affirm that, and I want to encourage you. Uh, I think that when we, when we talk about what Jesus brings to the party, like, we're talking about joy, and you mm -hmm. are um, helping us realize that. Um, and you're doing so in, you know, a way that is literally tasteful. Um, and so you know, I, just, I just want to celebrate that. I, you know, I, I, I continually thank God because before religious life, um, I didn't really know what to do with myself. I, did, I thought I knew what I wanted from the world. But then um, the more I invested myself in God, the more I fell in love with my religion, um, the more... Uh, amazing things just kept happening, you know? And so for me, like, I'm just so blessed to have something I'm passionate about, a life I love, a mission I love. Um, and so for myself, it's my my journey and my, my, my mission is to help others um, experience the same thing I'm experiencing. Okay, and is there, like, some kind of cookbook devotional in the works? Because that would be sure would be fun. <laughs> I know you no, don't, like, like yeah. have a lot of time, but... Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's also, that's been quite a, uh, quite the popular request with many people. And if I ever did write a book, um, it would definitely be that because for me, my baking is a conversation with God. Um, I, d I can't bake without him. 
Um, and I don't want to make it without him because then it's going to taste terrible. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, for me, it's always been a conversation of growth, virtue, virtue building. Um, and I just, um, for me, spirituality and baking are so intimately connected for me. Um, so we're going to have to talk uh, at some point about like just the process of baking bread and the ingredients related to it, um, kneading, like all of those things. I think that Christ is made known in the baking of bread in so many exceptional ways. We don't have time to um, to get into all of that today. But I mean, like we have so many people who think that they're, um, you know, they're, well, all kind. They're half baked. That's part of the problem. And nobody wants a, a loaf of half baked bread. Like that would be a real yeah. concern. Um, but um, so we let's let's plan on having that conversation in the future. Um, uh, I love that. Yeah, share one um, one Christmas um, tradition or experience that's just particularly meaningful to you. One tradition. Oh, oh, that's easy. Um, Christmas mass. Um, <laughs> uh, Christmas masses in our house. Um, uh, we do a, we do a vigil, which is basically um, Christmas Eve at nighttime. We do the vigil mass um, for Christmas Day, and we do that as a community. What I love about it is we get together as friars and we sing carols. And before the pandemic, we invited people inside to our friary um, for the mass and for the carols. Particularly for me, I love it when all the brothers are together working towards something uh, in terms of celebrating God through liturgy, celebrating God through um, our singing and praying. Um, and it's just such a, it sounds cheesy. It sounds like it's like a, such a heartwarming experience because it is in those like moments of like being in the chapel with the brothers. It, that's where I feel the most peace at. Um and then afterwards, we, we get together and we have, like, I make little hors d'oeuvres for them usually. Um, so I make little canapes and little, like, little desserts and stuff like that for us to have after the mass. And we just sit around and just eat, nibble on little um, canapes and stuff like that and just um, enjoy each other's company. Um, it's just, um, I do love my, my, my Christmases here in the Friary for sure. I love that. All right. So we will be singing carols with you, although not with you in the same way. Uh, we'll be absolutely sharing the spirit of Christmas with one another um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, kneeling together at the manger throne. Um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a friend of this show. It really is such a joy to get to talk with you. Um, so, Brother Andrew, blessings on you and the other brothers and on your uh, family uh, family of origin as well. Like, Give a shout out to your mom and tell her thank you today, too. <laughs> okay, Carmen. God okay. bless you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That was so fun. Okay, so I am following Andrew um, on Instagram at This Friar Bakes, and I have now uh, told him we are expecting to see... Uh, the recipe for the flourless chocolate cake, and then yes, I will share it with everybody else. Um, and and that we want to see the Christmas canapes that he is serving. Doesn't that sound fun? That sounds totally fun for those of you who don't know. It's just a little bite-sized, pick it up with your fingers treat. 
right? So you could turn anything into a canapé. You could make Beef Wellington as a canapé if you were good enough. I mean, like, if you could figure that out. Okay, so tiny little chicken pot pies. I'm envisioning all kinds of things. Oh, mouth-watering. Okay, it is Taste and See Tuesday. Let, let us set about today to make Christ known to others um, that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. This is not just a pie-in-the-sky religion. This is pie right here, right now. The goodness of God among the living. Let's go out there today and make it known in the world. And I know some of you are like, I'm not going anywhere. Yes, you are, because every way that you express yourself to others on social media, over the phone, in your emails, it is all communicating the gospel. One way or another, we're either accurately giving honest testimony and witness to who Jesus is, or he wouldn't recognize himself in how we're representing him. So let's make it the former, not the latter. All right, have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.